0: Welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, This is our first post-Andy episode, and so we hope uh, we're a little sad about it. Mm -hmm. Funereal, I think, would be an overstatement.
1: (laughs) Everyone's still alive. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. we'll see him again.
0: <laughs> what does that mean? Like is that ter- does that just refer to funeral like? Is that all that term means?
1: I guess so. Have you used it in a piece before? Oh yeah. <laughs> I think I have, but maybe I didn't really know what it meant.
0: <laughs> like a lot of immigrant writers. Um
1: <laughs> try to I get have, fancy and you're have, like, oh my God.
0: <laughs> I have a wide range of words that uh taylor if you can back up a little bit, that would be great. Um I have oh yeah, that's right. If you can turn it down a tiny bit. Um I have a wide range of words that I use in my writing that I don't know how to pronounce, <laughs> nor am I entirely sure what the word
1: means.
0: <laughs> it's a, it's a problem, you know. Do Just your like, editors ever
1: intervene? They're like, What?
0: No, what they do don't finish? intervene. Um they they because I think I'm using them generally correctly, you know and words like funeral like you're like well no actually you know what sometimes i have noticed recently that some of the copy people have been like i don't think this word is used correctly so shout out to the coffee people
1: i know i, <laughs> I definitely just... had one of those this week and i was like i completely thought that meant something else for 20 years <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> right right i mean i there are so many of those like I think when I was in my twenties, I didn't really know what the word conflate meant, and I thought it just meant inflate, you know. And I was like, "Oh, it's just another word for inflate."
1: It's a synonym <laughs> yeah. for inflate.
0: Yeah, and then, and it <laughs> never occurred to me to think like, "Well, why would they have a word conflate and inflate mean the exact same thing?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I don't know." Everything with is... yeah,
1: "flate" means the same.
0: Right, I'd be like, English is a stupid language, anyway. You know, a whole lot of things don't make sense, and uh, and so yeah. Anyway, Tammy. Um, we're going to talk about a few things today. We're going to talk about, and, and then when at the end, I think we'll give a little sense of what the show is going to be like going forward. We did this last week, but for people who missed last week's episode, um, we wanted to give a little bit clearer of a roadmap for the future. Um, but Tammy, you're in Chicago right now. I wanted to start talking about this, right? Like in, in, the, the viewers can't see this, but you are clearly in a hotel room. <laughs> Again. <laughs> i can see the like hotel uh air conditioning heating unit you know yeah. like the thing that sticks out of the wall i hate those things they never they're are. so they're
1: strong or you're sweating
0: yeah there's only two then, settings right and they're loud so they wake they're you up so loud. So usually you yeah. just decide all right well i'd rather it be quiet than
1: mm-hmm. just than sweat be, through
0: yeah, just sweat through it. It's gonna be fine. You know, this is how people live for years before air conditioning. But um, <laughs> you're in Chicago for Labor Notes, right? Which um, tell the tell. I don't know. Let's just start very simple. Tell the listeners what Labor Notes is.
1: Yeah, so we can get into why this is significant, but um, obviously we're in a particular kind of laboring moment. Labor Notes is an organization that's existed for a long time that is based in Chicago now and basically they encourage union democracy. So for union members who are in really big bureaucratic unions, they try to educate them on how to run for office and take over those unions, pushing them in a more left direction. For people who've never organized before ever, they help them organize. Um, So this year's convention um, was the first since 2018 because of the pandemic and it had over 4,000 people. And it was so young and so energetic. There were um, a ton of Starbucks and Amazon workers. I would say those were the two star groups. Oh just yeah, because there's so yeah. much national excitement around that. So Derek Palmer, Chris Small's big presence. I uh, moderated a panel that Derek was on, along with this phenomenal young Starbucks worker from Boston. Um, I think there were about a hundred Starbucks workers from all over the country who came. And oh cool. Yeah. So if you talk to kind of the labor old heads, like people in their 60s and up, I think they were they were all kind of teary. Like everyone was a little misty eyed all weekend, you know, <laughs> yeah. looking at the youth. Um, no, like, this sort of... Listen,
0: I've been hanging out with the same 19 people for 35 years at these things. You know, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I'm so tired like of Like the people them.
1: handing out the Freedom Socialist paper are like know, running so... out of copies, you know. <laughs> right, so...
0: right. I've had enough of these dudes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for the first time yeah. in their lives, they're like, young people want our papers.
0: Um, well they're good for them i'm very happy for them yeah um yeah that seems uh so it's a young presence right it's a presence Mm -hmm. that is sort of built around some of these big companies that have been getting a lot of the attention in terms of labor and we've discussed this on the show a couple times we are both of the mind that this is a good thing right like first of all they employ tons of people and secondly it's important to have like the added benefit of having it be instantly newsworthy because it's a famous worldwide company. Right. So I saw that in the Apple store workers joined the machinist. Yeah. Right. Um, I thought that was a huge deal because I've, I've expressed on the show before my deep skepticism that tech workers would end up in, um, wanting to go down, a roll, a road of unionization. Now these aren't tech workers, right. But, um, And I still think that I'm generally correct about that thing, but uh, that idea. But like, it is interesting to see that within the same company, right, that that you would have this type of movement. Right. And that that perhaps that will that will like foment some seeds, especially since, you know, the big news out here in the Bay Area is that all the tech workers are much poorer than they used to be. They're still rich, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of them took <laughs> really big hits <laughs> over the past uh, six months or so, you know, like um, uh-huh. like some of these companies had to actually increase the amount of compensation that they were giving because the, no, the um, stocks that they were giving as compensation were oh, hemorrhaging see. so much money, right? And now that is a moment where I think a lot of workers at those places think well ho oh, wow you know it would be great if we had some control over how these things went other than just like moving to another company right like which mm-hmm. is what they generally do right now um you know when everybody's oh, I getting they think
1: they, boy,
0: yeah yeah when everyone's getting hit then maybe that's the beginning of a way to think about it i still think it's a very long road because they do yeah. have they do have so much flexibility you know
1: but, it's true. you know, on
0: the other hand, and they are paid quite a bit, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, like the NFL players and NBA players and Major League Baseball players also make a lot of money, you know? <laughs> and,
1: I know. Yeah.
0: Right. And, and I think all...
1: there's a lot of people who, I don't know, there's, there are those that kind of like left libertarian strain in people who become software engineers and stuff. That's leading to a lot of scrutiny of this the projects they're working on. And so the Tech Workers Coalition definitely had a significant presence at Labor Notes. Oh, they did? Yeah, the Alphabet Workers Union was there too.
0: Okay. Um, Which is
1: kind of, you know, it's trying to figure out how to build within Google. Obviously not easy at all. But I think to your point, like I think there's going to be some reconsideration of what it means to be a tech worker coalition. Because ideally you do have the really rich software engineers, but they're also thinking about logistics workers and bus drivers and cafeteria workers in that whole and retail workers now at Apple stores. Like can you build across that industry? Um, so yeah, I I feel like it's a it's a really exciting moment in labor, and it's also of course a moment with a lot of question marks because of all of these innovative tactics and sort of informal and new unions. Like, what does it mean? How do you actually right. get a contract? Is a contract even the point, or are we trying to leverage a different kind of pressure? Um, the web what What do you of, mean
0: by that? What do you mean by? Oh yeah, I mean sort of pressure.
1: So, so yeah, like usually, union power is centered in the collective bargaining agreement because that is the format that we know, like, can basically put right. a break on employers. But for some of these formations, like, uh, you know, for the tech workers, I think, like, is that ultimately a goal for a really high-paid software engineer, or are you going to build a kind of solidarity union where everyone is ready to walk out at any moment because they don't want to work on ICE contracts,
0: right. but they
1: may not want to have a contract. Because they may still be okay negotiating their wages individually or something. you know, I can see a different kind of thing in certain of those white collar spaces. And I think the same for the Amazon and, and Starbucks workers, they want to get a first contract, but it's going to be very, very difficult. And so are there things along the way that are going to look different, but they're still operating like a union? I mean, the Starbucks workers are shutting down stores like all over the country somewhat often. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that is very not traditional for unions, where the CBA, the contract is the center. So I think you know, people are are kind of questioning um the different things that are expected of traditional unions, um but still building new forms of power. And I think that for me, the like one of the highlight moments, but also a bit of a depressing moment at the conference was Bernie's speaking. Like right. obviously, I'm a pretty big Bernie fan. But at the end of his speech, everyone, 4,000 people in the grand ballroom started chanting, run, Bernie, run. (laughs) And I kind of, like, another fan of uh, the podcast, our friend Matt, who, you know, um, was representing his healthcare union from California. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting together and we sort of looked at each other and thought, well, this is is kind of depressing. Like, (laughs) here we are again. We have one- Shout out to Matt. (laughs) Wonderful. Shout out to Matt. We have one politician we believe in in the entire country. He's 9,700 years old and we want him to run again. You know, it's just, we need something else. I love him, but you know, we got to figure out other forms of power.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, it's a little, I don't know. I mean, there's a, I, I think that, um, I don't know what it means that the Democrat party at a moment in 2016 and 2020, I think, where both, where it was quickly realized that there needed to be a spate of new people brought up, right? Mm. Um, Kind of failed in marketing and developing some of these people to run, you know, like, um, I mean, I've been hearing a lot about how Ralph Warnock, right, might be the next person who can run for president for The Democrats. Um, Oh, yeah. Interesting. But like, uh, I think that, yeah, I heard it from my friend and then, but then I sort of did some digging around and then I was like, oh, well, I, you know, actually more than one person thinks this, right? But Hmm. he's Mm -hmm. still, and he's 52, I think. So he's like, basically like a freshman in college when it comes to, you know, <laughs> a
1: teenager. this is um, <laughs> yeah. a senator from Georgia for our international right. listeners.
0: Right, right. Um, but why was there no real, you know, like it It does seem like everyone should have had somebody lined up at this point, right? That would be a plausible choice. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. You just, there's nobody... Um, who has sort of gone in that void? So the the conversation everyone seems to have agreed that Kamala is not tenable to run, um which you know, it seems like all the polling does actually signal that, right? And also some bit of common sense also signals that, right? Um, mm-hmm. Some people are talking about Pete Buttigieg. I don't know. I don't think oh my Lord. Pete has really been. <laughs> setting the world on fire as transportation secretary, not that it's easy to set the world on fire as transportation secretary, nor do I actually think he's done a particularly bad job as transportation secretary. I can't live
1: in a country where Pete Buttigieg is president.
0: You can, he's you can though. So
1: can so annoying because
0: you you lived in a country where Donald Trump was president. And I you, know. You know. Let's just be. I mean, he's much worse. You know,
1: than, this is true. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's definitely better. But yeah, he's such there, a are nerd. Much,
0: there are much. <laughs> They're much worse. They're much worse outcomes than a. The, but um, not I, so. There's <laughs> not really anybody who's stepping into this, Floyd. But you know, like I actually let, let's not talk about that. Let's go back to this this yeah. idea. Yeah, so yeah. Um, <laughs> it seems like if we can think of labor notes and I think it's fair to think of it right as this place where, um, it's sort of the messaging intellectual and, um, in some ways like forward facing planning, uh, place for the left, right. And, and for labor generally, and that it seems to be moving quite quickly in a direction where, um, some of the old big, big, big unions have, have, sort of you know they're they're still there right but mm-hmm. they're they're not like the they're not the they're not the prom queen or prom king is that <laughs> it's a homecoming king i don't know what these terms are <laughs> right exactly <laughs> is there a prom queen i don't think we had a prom all queen all of Jay's references
1: <laughs> are based in high school
0: I know, but, <laughs> but they're based on, like, an apocryphal high school that I didn't attend, you know, because, like, I don't know if we ha- – I don't think we had a homecoming queen. What we it's had like was we Friday had this, Friday Night like-
1: Lights sex education version of high school.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, like, cobbled together from various <laughs> television shows I've watched because, like, I don't think we had a prom queen, but we had this, like, fucked up dance oh, really? called the Thanksgiving dance um, that I was never invited to. But it was, like – What do you basically- mean you weren't invited? Because it was invite only, what? Because At a public it, school? Well, it wasn't done by the public school.
1: Oh. It was
0: like basically when the schools integrated in Chapel Hill,
1: mm-hmm. all
0: the you know segregationists started a separate dance called the thanksgiving dance right wow the only way that you could get invite this is so fucked up the only way that you could invite it get invited to go to it was that uh like they they by the time that i was in high school this had been recast as being feminist you know but basically a uh some somebody who was like going to the thanksgiving dance who was like a girl had to ask the boy to go you know and like you can imagine what the roots of that are, right?
1: Oh my God. <laughs> but are all the girls? So how do the girls get decided?
0: Oh, like, at the time that you're know. in high school, it's like debutante. There's a, there's a blood test. Yeah, I mean, it was just all like the rich, wow, white yeah. girls in in town, and um, they would sort of invite. You know, some random ass dudes. I don't you know, it will I was I'll just say I don't think anyone I knew on the debate team ever went to that thing. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> How surprising. My,
0: yeah, my little group <laughs> of friends of of like Mostly Jewish dudes, you know, in general like we weren't, we didn't go.
1: Jewish dudes and the one Asian. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, there were a couple of us, a couple Asians, but not many, you know, and uh, a lot of Jewish dudes and um some people whose parents were like, you know, ultra liberal political science professors. Like <laughs> none of us got, none of us got to go, but I think they had a queen. That's my only point.
1: This is so oh. awful. I hope this doesn't exist anymore.
0: Oh no, it still exists. It still exists. It's interesting how um some wow. of the, although I don't know, I, Chapel Hill is such a different place now. Um, I somebody you know one of my wife's friends from college was over at our house and he had just moved to Chapel Hill last like last year or something. And first of all, the town went from like forty thousand people when I was living there, where. Uh, and like, you know, mostly just like kind of a nineties complainery slacker indie rock Mm -hmm. vibe to now being like 60,000 people, I think, you know, so it's expanded. There's tons of Asian people there now, Mm -hmm. um, and it's much more, and all that indie stuff is gone just as it's gone everywhere in the country, right? Like, you're not going to have like three record stores on Franklin street when nobody has the CD player. So, um. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know it's kind of it's uh but i bet all of that stuff still exists you know but i think like in many places it's diminished in its power because the city itself has become diversified and it's like much different than it used to be but let me tell you in 1996 it was raging you know and um but still i would say the cool kids who like smoked weed and were like you know disaffected and went on to do great things in life um you know none of us got to go <laughs> anyway
1: look at you so, now
0: yeah exactly You're recording
1: a podcast in a basement
0: <laughs> yeah with somebody, with somebody in a hotel it. in a hotel with a, one of those terrible cheap um, hotel yeah exactly <laughs> with a window unit <laughs> Um oh my God.
1: With apologies to our parents, um, right? We
0: are. <laughs> the, the, so the next thing I want to so wait. Anyway, the point being, oh
1: yeah. So your question you about
0: place, things like SEIU yeah. Teamsters, right? Like they are no longer are they no longer the Thanksgiving Day? Well, team? it's
1: interesting you're saying that because I mean. The Starbucks campaign is an SCIU campaign, right, but it's right. run by this small part of SCIU that no one really thinks of as, as a SCIU. So it's not branded that way. But yeah, to your point, I think so. I mean, the thing about um, UAW and Teamsters, like his, the two historically kind of most corrupt and messed up unions on some level, but also extremely powerful. Um, Teamsters just selected, right? Teamsters for Democratic right. Union, which basically is a kind of labor notes adjacent project. Um, same thing with the UAW after the federal investigation being reformed into a one member, one vote system that was, um, it's called um, UAWD, the D for democracy, like that's also a kind of labor notes adjacent and advised project. So I think it's two things. It's its yes, the power center has shifted towards sort of these independent unions on, at least in the public imagination. Um, but then the second thing is that some of the big historic you know, sort of power players have been reformed. So we'll see. You know, can this right. fix our problems? Fingers right.
0: crossed. Um, Putting on my like big takes
1: hat, right? <laughs> do you have another hat?
0: <laughs> yeah, I do. Actually, <laughs> I have my, I have my takes yeah. hat. And then I have my try to be thoughtful reporting hat. And those are my two hats. (laughs) Sometimes I have a trolling hat, but it's like a little bit, you know. Uh, But yeah, so my takes hat is on, you know. All right, so the takes hat is asking you, you know, um, and remind, we have, it seems like there is some of this, which is going towards this idea, which has become, uh, over the past 10 years, Almost all political action, right, that is not like actual politicians making actions, but is sort of going to a more decentralized model, right? Like where Mm -hmm. um, things can happen online, things can happen among a small group of people, right? You don't need to get everyone's approval to do what you're doing, right? A lot of the bureaucracy that used to go into any type of political action is gone, right? And that people seem to be okay with just sort of saying, hey, let's do this, right? Um, the idea of organizing in itself has changed in that way, too. Not at a fundamental yeah. level in the workplace, necessarily, but the idea of organizing politically has gone to a much more decentralized model, right? Now, mm-hmm. if I what I'm so. hearing from you is, po- is true, that, that some of this has also entered into the labor movement as well, right? And the takes hat is saying, that 10 years, <laughs> for the people who can't, none of you can see, but Tammy can see, I'm like <laughs> pretending to wear, I put a head on right now. Um, the takes head is asking, all right, well, we, that, that type of approach we have seen now, and I think that there has been enough years to sort of say that this is true, that these types of actions are very good in getting a lot of attention, Right. And what they're not particularly great at yet, right? And that's for a variety of reasons, including like sort of obstruction and like the, you know, an unwillingness to change, is that they're not particularly good at winning what some might call like substantive victories, right? Yeah. Um, that's what Take Hat says. That's my take. Can you respond to it? Like, what, what's, the, <laughs> what's, what's the response to that? Like, if that was yeah. like something that was floated out there.
1: Yeah, I think the just a quick note on the historical piece, I think people with the long, long knowledge of labor will be like, our moment right now looks like a pre-1930s moment. And then the people with who are just coming to the labor movement now will be like, this feels like an Occupy Wall Street post-recession organizing. Right, 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 moment, right, right. 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 But they're similar. Um, so I think on that, yeah. So so just to take like Amazon and Starbucks, like on our panel, we were trying to talk about how in the hell are you gonna get a contract? Right. Like, how are you going to make this stuff structural, you know, and I think both of those campaigns are really struggling with that and trying to figure out, like, how do we, you know, instantiate these material gains forever and and figure out forms of power. And and so I think one of the things they're trying to do is, you know, negotiate their relationship to large unions. And, right. and and the idea of bureaucracy, which like, sorry, but to get structural wins, you do need some bureaucracy. Right, like, right, right, right. I guess I'm not an anarchist, so I believe that. And I think that like, you need to have stuff and institutional memory and, you know, and maybe, I mean, we should, we can debate that later on, but um, so I think, for instance, like, if larger unions give them material resources, money, should they take that? What are the costs of that? Are they eventually going to want to build in these sort of like st- in constitutions and big structural things to get to a contract? How much should they be working with lawyers and using the law as opposed to just using street actions? These are all completely unresolved questions. And I think that's what makes everything feel really exciting right now.
0: Right. I mean, on Was the Starbucks like-
1: thing... Oh, yeah, go, go ahead. Go
0: ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Well, go just
1: ahead. one more thing to close that out. Like on the Starbucks thing. So last week, um, Schultz sat down with Andrew Rosserkin from the Times, you gotta love these like quasi journalistic, basically just like cafe appearances, and said that, you know, he doesn't he doesn't intend to collectively bargain. Like he basically just flat out said he's right, not gonna I saw that, follow yeah. the law, right? Um, and he also simultaneously issued on a flyer to all the employees a two column document that says if you are in the union, you're gonna get this, which is less than if you stay out of the union.
0: I saw so that. So they've too, raised
1: yeah. right the benefits and wages. So there's they're trying to basically force the union into a situation where they're challenging this notion of, okay, for any kind of permanence or structure, like we're gonna beat you back in these ways. So um, but that means also that the Starbucks union without really having a contract has won gains for yeah, people. Yeah, that's what like I was Like, major gains. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Like, already they had raised the wages. Same thing at Amazon, right? They got wage lifts. They got right, benefit
0: right, lifts. Right, right, no, So it's they're sort
1: of bargaining for the entire country already.
0: Right, right. That was um, my thought. I was like, whoa. So,
1: like, good uh, job, guys.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> what? You know, I'm so mad at you that I'm going to do kind of the thing that you said I was going to do, but exactly. I'm not going to talk to you. you know? <laughs> It's like I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, like, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's like, you know, like uh all of you radicals in the bucket over here, you don't represent all the baristas and the, the they're called partners, right? Like the franchise. Part- yeah, <laughs> the franchise partners across the country. You know, and just despite you, you know, I'm going to give them all <laughs> like a twenty percent. you, here yeah. you go. I'm going to give them a twenty percent raise, and I'm going to pay for any type of higher education that they might go for, <laughs> and 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 uh, healthcare is going to be guaranteed. And all this sort of stuff. I don't know. I I I do think that that was. I came away from that just thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe this type of pressure really does work, right? Because like yeah. how Howard, Howard Schultz can be as defiant as he wants, um, his words can be, but the substance of it in the end is that they want to, that's a victory for them, right? Now, yeah, whether so. or not it sort of ends, and maybe that's some of, you know, maybe that's a lesson. You tell me what you think. Once again, my take's head is on you are the expert here. Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you t- like what? What do you like? Is that? It, do you think that that is going to be an increasing form of of what happens here outside of the of a CBA, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have this moment now, which is similar to the moment like you were saying in thirties, right, forties, um, which is that you have these mega powerful cat, like sort of titans of industry, right. Um, and you have people who own entire industries by themselves who have amassed an immense amount of wealth that is inconceivable, right? And that they don't have to really do anything, right? Um, Now, uh, especially if, like, they're not going to be held to account by the law, right? Which I don't know. I mean, we've talked a bit about Biden's NLRB, which is, like, you know, agreed is, like, you know, if any any NLRB is going to do good, then this might be the one, right? Yeah. But... But um, but at the same time, like a ton of power is a ton of power. So maybe perhaps like sort of agitating, making a lot of shame happen, right? And sort of continuing the fire going and then getting them so mad that they have to do something but that they don't do it within the structure of the, of the CBA. Maybe that is like a possibility. Is that, is that a lot of what mm-hmm. was being discussed? It sounds like that's sort of like what people were talking about there.
1: Maybe it's something I was just more obsessed with. I mean, I think that's what's happening so far, but Starbucks and Amazon workers are definitely clear on the fact that they do want a contract. I just think they're open to the idea and they know that they are already exercising power anyway, which is kind of this left union thing. And the last thing I'll say is just that um, I think one of the more exciting moments was when um, Amazon workers from France and Italy were speaking to Amazon workers here. And when the president of the Chilean Starbucks union started dialoguing with Starbucks. So then the international solidarity aspect, and also just a very concrete like share about this is literally what our condition working conditions are in these countries and over here. And these are the tactics we've used was really fascinating. that's another thing I think that this kind of convention can, can facilitate the international relationships.
0: Cool. Um, all right. Is there anything else you want to report from labor notes? I was really excited to, I mean, I just followed it online, you know. Um, but it—you like, loved
1: it. You should come next time.
0: It seemed like everybody was really excited. I'm, I mean, I can't go yeah. to conventions I, uh, or like <laughs> things like that because I just like I—I I, I revert to high school. I, I, once again, I revert to like kind of like a high school <laughs> thing where I just like I would not have left my. I would just don't think I would have left my hotel room. Just be in the
1: hotel room. It was very overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I just your union though, Jay. The News Guild was got like mad props there too because cool. The News Guild National has organized like seventy five hundred workers in like four years.
0: (laughs) We we have like a. It is wild. I I just I I still have like social. I, I don't even think it's social anxiety at this point. You know, I don't feel anxious. But I just don't want to be in a big crowd of people, not because of COVID, but just because I've never liked being in. I don't like walking around and being. Like, it's a oh, lot.
1: Yeah, yeah. I it's... skipped one session and drank two beers by myself. <laughs> 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 to be mm-hmm. honest, it's a good anyway. scene in the
0: novel. In the novel, you know. Um, <laughs> all right, well, let's uh, let let's move on here. Okay, I'm looking at our sheet here. We have notes. Um, all right. Let's uh let's talk about inflation and then let's talk about mm-hmm. Colombia, and let's talk about um We Own This City, which you saw the first episode of, which I absolutely loved as a televis, you know, um I loved quite a bit. Uh as a show. I also like the book a lot. Have you read the book no. that Justin Fenton wrote? He wrote the the, the show is based on Justin Fenton's mm-hmm. book about the Gun Trace Task Force. Anyway, we'll talk about it in a bit. Okay, so inflation, I think we should talk about it. It's the only real political question in America at this point, right? I think, like, you look at that, if you look at any type of polling about this, which, you know, we should say that opinion polling and this type of thing is, like, the most specious thing ever. Like, the polls that are, like, what do you care about, you know? And people have to check off three boxes, you know? And they're, like, <laughs> oh, and then, like, all that matters is a ranking. Like, I was talking to my friend, and they're, like... Man, like uh, immigration is really high on this list of things that people care about. But it was like basically inflation was like sixty percent, and then like everything else was clustered at like fifteen percent. But immigration oh, was shoot. at fifteen, and the other stuff was like at twelve or something. I was like, this is totally meaningless, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I think that enough of this stuff has come out, and that enough of. I mean, it also makes sense that inflation is the thing that people would really care about at this point, right? And so I wanted to talk about this article that was put out in The Times, which I thought was actually quite good by uh, Janine Smialik. I'm sorry to butcher this name. Gianna Smialik and Ben Castleman, right? Um, And uh, I thought that it did a pretty good job of explaining what the issue is or at least framing it in a way that was very clear right and so Mm -hmm. they start out with this uh this librarian in dallas whose name is kat johnson and kat johnson you know sort of enters the pandemic with about two thousand dollars in savings right which is not a lot but that is reflective of a lot of people in america especially people like librarians who are making about i don't know like forty thousand dollars a year or something like that right Right. and we're still relatively young right um and she is living in a studio apartment in dallas And uh, inflation has really hit her hard. She has $65,000 in student loans, right? Like it's very hard for her to fill her tank with gas, right? Um, She is considering going to a higher paying job, but she's not sure about the security of that job, right? Like, you know, like it might be that like you sort of flame out or that you sort of, you realize that this is not the career for you. And then you're doubly screwed, right? Because then you have no job, right? Or you're stuck totally miserable and that you know you sort of wish that you had the stability that you had before because while it was difficult, at least you were kind of getting by, right? Um, and I think that this is basically what a lot of people are feeling right now across the mm-hmm. country, right? Um, and I think there's a confluence of things. I think it goes across class lines, right? I think, and, and with the caveat saying that some predicaments are much more sympathetic than others, But overall, I think within the upper middle class or the middle class, people who are older are seeing a lot of their investments being, and their retirement accounts getting crushed, right? Because of uh, what has like been a prolonged, uh, I think like big swoon in the stock market, right? People are afraid of the recession coming, which is going to be bad, right? Not just for sort of people in the more precarious positions of people everywhere. This is how people sort of drop. You know, you have downward class mobility is through moments like these. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have people. And I will say that, you know, like as somebody who has done, who I think, you know, is not in a precarious position, you know, it's good to be honest on the show, like have a good job. It's like like it 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 things like filling up gas buying eggs, stuff like that, like it weighs on your mind, you know, but that these things do cost more than they used to, you know, Um, and then you think about other people who are scraping by, who are now encountering all of this. And I don't know, I, I, I have two questions for you. The first being that like, I don't know what the Democrat should, can do about this. I don't think that it's their fault. You know, I actually think Biden is, mm-hmm. I think that the idea, this is not just happening in America, right? It's happening yeah. in developed countries around the world. It's happening throughout it's Europe as well. And um, all those places had different, different responses than the United States had. And they're all sort of seeing this. Of course there is going to be economic ruin after a global pandemic. Right. Um, along because with we like,
1: withdrew all this stuff. All this right. support.
0: Right, right. And so, um, I just not really sure what they sh- what the message should do and should be, and that also I think means like I don't think that there's any way that there's any political future electorally for <laughs> for Democrats in the next like two four years, you know, because like it's bad, and this is like you know this is what, where people feel, and the response is just denial. So like for example. Joe Biden went on, uh, he talked to the Associated Press. This was his first print interview since he took office. And Joe Biden said, hey, this is kind of like his main message was like, I would do it again if I did, because I was helping families that were in need. Right. And here I'm mm-hmm. talking about all the sort of cash infusions everywhere. Janet Yellen told me that this might lead to a small inc- risk of higher inflation when I did it, but I still think it was a good idea. And also, I don't think that it was a, I don't think that's why we have inflation. We have inflation because of COVID. Now, you can believe all of that is true, right? And I generally would say that I think all of that is true, you know, but that is a very bad message to give people who are suffering in the way that the librarian that, that, um, that this Time story is detailing is... Uh, is is suffering right
1: what do you think you should have said instead
0: i don't know you know and that's where that's where that's why that's the question i have like what can you say right yeah yeah. um now are you going to convince anyone who is mad about this stuff that it's not your fault no you know nobody right and are there a lot of families who are suffering in this way right now yes and i was like looking recently about at uh Mayra uh, Flores, right, who is a, um, the, the woman who won the Republican seat in, uh, in the Rio Grande Valley, right? Like, and she, oh, flipped uh, a, she flipped a district that had been 150 years of Democrat rule, and she flipped it. Now, it, there's so many caveats that you can throw out there. It's, like a very, it's a special election. It's only for six months. She has to run again in November, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But her message was just inflation. If you look at it, I see. It was just like, I'm an oh, immigrant. I was born in Mexico. I'm just like you. I'm not rich. My family struggled. I struggle. And it's because of inflation. It's because of, you know, they don't understand the economy. None of this oh, stuff was happening when Trump was president. Oh, and it's all, be- and like, that's a powerful message. And like, so what's the response going to be? Like, actually, you know, Janet Yellen said, <laughs> Right. it's just like, no, there's no message. Right. Um, I don't know. Anyway, that was a very long question. So t- I don't know. Tell me, what do you think about this? Like what, what, what could the response be?
1: Yeah. I'm so torn about this because I think so that like in that times article and other places, I've been a little bit frustrated about how much the inflation analysis focuses only on the kind of wage and labor market component. And and doesn't talk as much about the supply chain aspect or about the corporate profit taking, which I think are also major drivers of the inflation. So, I mean, wouldn't I wonder if our message could be around corporations? Um, There could be sort of like the uh, um, attacks on you know. I think this was like in a Reuters analysis or an AP analysis of this, so there could potentially be like a temporary marginal tax, like tax increase for corporations that have made X percent, you know, higher whatever profits during this period or something, just something that would sort of point out that it's not bad to have. Okay. Wages and it's not bad to have a labor market where workers have some freedom and choice, because I think that's basically the message that a lot of people are hearing and workers are so desperate to be able to afford gas to get to work that they are actually kind of bargaining against themselves right you know in their response to inflation so that i was thinking of that as one thing that we could say that the left could say um are the dems going to do it probably not but um it seems like biden could have said something like that like what is the actual crux of the problem here
0: yeah i i saw crystal ball on um on uh Bill Maher making that argument, right? Like uh, almost exactly what you said, right? That why would you focus so much on things like giving families money to help raise their kids, right? And not focus at all on all the money that was given out during the first stock market crash (laughs) post-pandemic to all these corporations to make them, you know, solvent or or whatever to drive their share prices up, right? Like that, that's a, that's a real question, you know. Um, and I don't know. I, I think that I think that Crystal ball is right, you know. But, but I don't know. It's like it's a lot harder to make those types of like they're they're yeah. they're interesting arguments. I do think that you can sort of say these people are stealing from us, which is yeah, screw, that's true,
1: right? right.
0: Um, and that's why you're suffering. And I think that that's like an effective argument but now will the sort of center of the democrat party make that argument no i don't think so you know because like they're going to be supportive of of uh of corporate america right like they're not going to go on some sort of rant about any of this stuff and um they would have there isn't
1: enough of a kind of like bernie aoc thing to push that discourse in your view
0: Cause right, but they also I, like also they would have done the exact same thing
1: you know, during the, I know, but we can right. but they can pretend that they wouldn't have I mean cause yeah, it's not great, just right because it. of that, like it's like, yes, we gave these safety net packages because people needed to survive, and then also at the same time, corporations kept making money and more money than they've ever made before, and that should have been your money,
0: long, and the last thing that we should talk about, <laughs> let's talk about this show because i I watched it, and I really loved it, and I wanted to get you're your a big David
1: Simon fan.
0: No, that's not true. I'm a big oh, The Wire yeah. fan. Okay. Um, you don't like these other shows? No, I like, well, you, you know what? I also like Thomas Side on the Street. Or I, I, I like Thomas, I Live on the Street. I also like, uh, I also like. I don't
1: think um, I've seen that one. I like Show Me a Hero.
0: I don't know what that is. What's Show Me a Hero? It's
1: an Oscar Isaacs one that's based on a book about housing struggle. In Yonkers. Oh yeah, I saw that, that was one good. Too. I
0: like that one too. Yeah. That was, that was good, good, right? Too. right and then the I liked Mayer, the, you know. juice
1: also, I I the, the deuce also. But the finale was horrifyingly bad. Ruined no, my I, show. I didn't
0: see that one, but I did uh okay, fine, I'm a Davidson. Anyway, fan. you're a David. Yeah. <laughs> he's like I am I too, know. except
1: he said so, he's so mean on Twitter I had to unfollow him. Um, I know.
0: Well he's uh he's one of those people who I, much like myself is a much it seems like you know it'd be better just to pay attention to his work and not his tweets but the, the so i sympathize with him in that sort of way but the, <laughs> this show right now to set the scene and i think a lot of our listeners probably haven't watched this show yet but it's about mm-hmm. a story that really did happen in baltimore and it's about the it was this group called gun trace task force right and it was a bunch of plays plainclothes officers and their job was to get guns off the street And they're run by this guy named Wayne Jenkins. He was sort of the head of it, or he was the head of it. And Wayne Jenkins was a very decorated police officer in the department because he got like results, right? He would, he could put drugs and guns on the table, which is a lot of what matters because like you go and you bust somebody and you know, you want the, you just want getting guns off the street is like the way that they actually measure the effectiveness of one of these police officers. Now, it turns out okay. that Wayne, not to give away everything, but, you know, Wayne, I think it's given away in the first episode, right? And it's also in the show description, so this is not a spoiler. <laughs> yeah. But, like, Wayne Jenkins was, like, an extreme, like, he was, like, a cartoonishly crooked cop, right? Like, he was, like, robbing oh my drug dealers. He was robbing uh, citizens that he would just pull over, right? And there was a group of about seven cops who all got arrested under this sort of thing. But the thing that I found interesting about the show, right, is that I think that like for David Simon, it is a, it is in some ways like a departure, right, from what The Wire was. Like I think what The Wire hmm. was was showing the futility of policing, and that it was a show about how like uh, economic systems, the ruin of Baltimore, and um, corruption everywhere. Was leading to these types of results, right? And that in that way, it was a very compassionate show, I think, for everyone. This show, yeah. he seems to be much angrier at the police, you know, like, like and um, the only way in which I think the police are in quote unquote humanized is because the guy, Barenthal, right, who is the actor who plays Wayne Jenkins, is just so good at acting. That like it elevates the whole <laughs> show, <laughs> and you almost kind of, you almost kind of want to like him because like it's just like such a performance, you know. Um, I don't know what do you think. You watched the first episode,
1: I yeah. So I'm in the middle of the second one. I started getting into it, so it does seem like there's a little bit of humanizing of cops. Like there's a couple cops who are kind of trying to be do better, and it seems like the feds are looking good so far in the show.
0: Oh yeah, well the feds are yeah but, yeah the feds yeah. Are, but I hear yeah. you in
1: terms of the line cops. Um, All right. Yeah, I like it. I think so what what really struck me is I guess I didn't because I hadn't read the book. I wasn't sure how closely they were going to stick to the actual facts in life. Oh, it's but very it's close. Like yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. is real. Like they're yeah, like yeah. Marilyn Mosley, like the name of the the Baltimore D, uh, DA is in it. Right, all, right, you know, right. So everyone's and, like, and, and the right? and
0: the mayor at the time, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the
1: mayor, yeah. Um so so that kind of surprised me. I think also they're dealing with this kind of like post Freddie Gray murder question, which is like, you know, are cops not arresting enough people and doing enough? How are people, are people, people feeling safe or not on the street? So in that sense, it feels, it felt very timely as this kind of like post George Floyd, post Freddie Gray uprising moment of what do we want the cops to be? You know, who in our community actually wants them around and thinks that they're needed. And so in that way, it's kind of painful to watch. There's also like somewhat like just from an artistic perspective, there's somewhat painful like mono, like, explainer monologues.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that's a, I fast forward. But that's like, like, like a David yeah. Simon
1: issue. Oh, yeah. You always fast forward through that.
0: Yeah. I fast forward through everything. <laughs> that, that's the thing. I think that like basically I've lost my critical my ability to criticize television because <laughs> <laughs> because every part that's bad, I just fast forward through, and then I oh forget that it exists. And so, what that what's happened that's is hilarious. that it's made me think that many more shows are really good, you know, because I just fast forward through all the
1: parts. I'm I like, there's watch. 20 extra minutes of dialogue where it's like a box article.
0: I'm like, well, see it? Okay, so like, the, all right. For those who want to follow in my footsteps, and I highly recommend that you do because it makes you enjoy television shows oh much gosh. more, and you don't really miss anything. And if you really think about it, it's like. Like, are you being a philistine? Yes, in some ways. But should the creator of that show done better and not put in the boring stuff? Yes, you know. And so, in some <laughs> ways, you're doing them you're doing them a favor. You you're know, editing. Right? Yeah, I'm editing in my own head. It's okay. So, like, what you do is you watch the entire first episode, right? And you find the characters that have plot lines that oh my bore, gosh that Jay. bored you. And then you just fast forward every time they're on screen. Like the second this they is show up. a ridiculous
1: strategy. <laughs> no
0: one should do on, this. The second they show up on screen, just hit fast forward. And so, no one do this. <laughs> um, no, the thing that, that Tammy is talking about is that in the first episode, there is a lawyer for the OCR of the DOJ, right? It's the Office of Civil Rights of the And she her job is to in is to enforce a consent decree or to even look into the consent decree that the Baltimore police signed with the um with uh with with the federal government and so uh, many questions arise which i'm sure is in are in some of your heads right now It's like well what is a consent decree right <laughs> and l- let me tell you there are long <laughs> sessions of exposition in the show where the, oh, the where through conversations you know and it's always like like the the sort of the attorney talking to like some grizzled old white it's guys so like, well, let me tell you, you know, the last time there was a consent decree, which, you know, which was defined by so and so, right? Like, and means X, Y, and Z, this is what happened. And then they tell like some joke and then they drink some coffee or something like that. And you're just <laughs> like, oh my God, you know? So I've, I have skipped through all of that. Like there's an entire <laughs> plot line of the show so where long. you could be, you could, you could be like, oh, do you remember this thing happening in the show? And I'll be like, no, because I skipped through all of that. <laughs> So
1: yeah,
0: anyway, Tammy, I agree with you. The, for the first time I encountered that part of it, I was like kind of horrified because I was like, I don't, I can't believe they're going to sit here and describe every single thing that happened, you know, um, <laughs> and what all these different things are. But you're right. It does bring up this interesting question, right? And I think about it a lot, which is that, because um, I think about it in the context of San Francisco, where I think it is quite evident that San Francisco Chronicle, to their credit, has done quite a bit of reporting on this, right? Which is like there is kind of a police strike going on in san francisco Mm -hmm. right the cops clearance rate on a lot of this stuff is eight percent right like that is stunning right um they they have stopped basically trying to figure out who is breaking their cars or like small property crimes all this sort of stuff right like and traffic especially right like all that's gone they're not doing it anymore and they're saying oh it's because we're underfunded it's because we don't we're not getting paid enough whatever Right, like it's sort of a strike. Right, it's like an unofficial strike that they're that they're doing. And when you think about it, they're like, "Oh, well, a lot of the reason why we're doing this is because we're demoralized because of what happened uh, two years ago." Right, they're nationwide protests against us, and the idea is kind of they'll say like, it outright. No, no, okay, no, no. But this is what happens. When everyone you talk- knows. I've talked to you know just in reporting. I've talked to some police chiefs, and I've talked to a lot of people who work with police, right? And they'll tell you that quietly, as, but they'll say it as in morale was hurt during those protests, right? Um, but I think that in the end, it's sort of like, it, it's much more of a question. And, you know, it is true that all the poli- police academies in big cities around the country are empty, right? Like they're having a very hard time finding who the police are gonna be, who, who are gonna replace the people who resigned um, or left or retired early, um, and, you know during the last two years during the pandemic because police like every other industry did have some you know increase in people who who left the workforce um but the show starts off with a scene where the person that I fast forwarded through every scene of afterwards <laughs> is uh witnessing a uh you know like an altercation between some police officers and some you know, black teenagers, right? And mm-hmm. that what happens is that the police officers eventually after like some struggle say, police yourselves, they get in their car and they just drive away and they're like, we right. don't care. Right. Now I thought that, that was a very, very interesting way to start the show. Right. Because yeah. um this in some ways is right wing talking point. Right. Which is that these police that the police are afraid to police, right? They're afraid that somebody's gonna record them, right? And the way that David Simon um, and, uh, decided to pick this on the show is basically a faithful rendering of what that right-wing talking point is, right? Mm-hmm. Now, is that true? Now, I would say that, like, I think that it's somewhat true, you know? Like, I do think that these encounters happen. I do think that some neighborhoods are being completely unpoliced at this point, right?
1: Really? Wow. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, like, um, and I don't think that necessarily that means that, like, Any rise in crime is going to lead to that. You know, I also think that, like, it's important to keep in a context that, like, in places that had zero defunding of police, the place that zero protests, right, and have had zero decrease in their police force, that, like, murders are going way up in a lot of those places, too, you know. And Mm -hmm. so, like, it's not like a cause and effect thing. But I do think that, like the thing that David Simon is depicting at the beginning of the show, does happen somewhat. And like, I, I don't know. I find it so interesting that he starts the show that way, right? That yeah. Because, like, what's like, what is what's he saying then, right? Like, um, outside of that's like, this is true, right?
1: Yeah, that's why I felt like there is a little bit of the wire thing in the in the kind of both sidesy or all sidesy. You know, he is trying to kind of get a three sixty on it. Is this a, Are these questions that come up in the the book that the show is based on?
0: yeah yeah uh but i mean there's a i first of all i think that justin fenton is a very good reporter you know and i also think that the book is quite good it's not a scintillating read in the sense that like because he's a reporter you know and like there's but for me i loved it because like it was thorough you know (laughs) and and um and
1: it doesn't move like a novel though it's
0: not, like- it's not written like he wanted mm-hmm. it to be optioned into a HBO mm-hmm. TV show, and that that was his only intention in doing so, which is uh-huh. what a lot of people would have done. They would have made it right. as salacious right, and streamlined right, right. as possible. I see. It yeah. was like a full document about what happened, and thankfully for Justin Fenton, it was. It was you know the, the good thing happened to him financially, right? Like in reputational wise, that that should have happened because he did a good job reporting this throughout. A, Several year stretch, right? Um, but um, I don't know. I think that, like in the end, uh, that that is discussed. Freddie Gray's discussed a lot, you know. Yeah. And um, I was I was there for the Freddie Gray protests, mm-hmm. um, and I've never seen I've never seen some of the scenes that i I saw there in terms of police not doing anything, right? I see downtown i saw um a group of kids just like smashing in the windows of a 7 and there's like 10 police officers standing right across the street just watching them do it right i mean like this happened in a lot of cities but mm-hmm. in baltimore it seemed much more pronounced and it was clearly 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 a directive from up high which uh the book does go into to not respond you know And that I think that like that has to be something that's discussed within the context of these stories. And I'm glad that the show did it because I think that, um, you know, there is this like reflexive way that the left wants to just say like, oh, no, like cops are always the same. Cops are always going to do X, Y and Z. And none of this stuff is true. But I actually think it's an indictment on the police to say that, like, you know, they've basically stopped doing their jobs. Right. Right. Um, Now, does it suggest that the problem is very big right now yes you know and I believe that that's true but like uh I don't know I just find it hard to like deny that that is happening like you know like it seems like it's quite true so I thought it was very interesting that David Simon started the show off with that
1: yeah I mean I think that the weird thing in the show is it's sort of like the cops will either do nothing or they'll do too much and it'll be illegal and corrupt
0: Oh yeah, or they'll rob right. people who are just yeah, exactly. like driving.
1: Like, <laughs> they will be the crime, or they will like ignore the crime. But there's like no like fun like well functioning police possibility. So I'm like, oh, no. what are the politics of this show? So I think like that to me is a question that is kind of keeping me watching. Like, what exactly is is being conveyed by this? Um, yeah. All
0: right. Well, let's talk yeah, about yeah, it I, more I like when it. you're done. Yeah, I it. I'm going to keep watching it. Let's yeah. talk about more when you're done. The 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 speech at the beginning by bernthal uh where he's talking addressing his fellow officers and he's talking about police brutality and what types of police brutality are fun and which types of police brutality they shouldn't do oh my gosh it's so good i mean it's it's kind of amazing like it's up there with some of the great police narrative or monologues of all time which is something that i keep in my head
1: (laughs) okay we will provide jay's Uh, ranking in the next episode
0: yeah and
1: he's the guy who played the punisher in the netflix show right
0: i don't know i don't know anything i, I, so. I don't know anything about okay co- comic book movies yeah, yeah. please you know I well, just anyway, watch, if anyone's I just watch, watched that he's a very I just good actor top shows and fast forward through half of them um <laughs> all right so uh tammy thank you for coming on um and <laughs> making you. time in your uh busy labor when is it is it over
1: it's over i'll be i'll be home tonight
0: Okay, you're flying back tonight. Um, how was the party scene, and what can you give us? Like, to put on your labor notes party party reporter hat.
1: <laughs> it was pretty good. Matt ended up um, singing and drinking alongside Chris Smalls, but I went to sleep.
0: <laughs> cool for Matt. Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening to our show. Um, we're gonna be doing this every week still going forward. Uh we're going to have more guests on, I think was the thing that we sort of decided that um We'll have a rotating cast of people who come on. Um, it will still be conversational. It'll still be fun. We'll still talk about hopefully more fun things than we talked about today. Although, I don't know. I thought the <laughs> beginning of the show was quite fun. No. Um, and yeah. uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, if you go to goodbye.substack.com, you can sign up for $5. And you can have access to our Discord. Um, Where What are we doing? We're talking about... uh, Oh, we have like in our Korean drama section now, we're going to have a discussion (laughs) starting July 1st about the show, Our Blues, which is a Korean drama. Oh, really? Okay, cool. I know that you're into
1: that. I've only seen one so far.
0: Oh, my God. You have to watch it. It's great.
1: I'll try again. I haven't gotten into that
0: You didn't get into it? I'll try again. Well, for those who might want to watch... It stars the, uh, the woman who played the maid in Parasite. Um, yes. That's the most, that's the best Americanized version of description I can yeah.
1: give. Amazing <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Amazing. And I would say that this is, I think this is like one of the great performances acting wise in a Korean drama I've ever seen. Wow. Okay. I and mean, she is incredible. Strong. And, um, and like keeps the show going. The show is like very episodic, and it's yeah. about different. Like the timelines go back and forth, but like characters like come in for two episodes, and then they're like you know you see them like in the background of a shot, and they wave. Or something <laughs> like
1: that, <you> know? <laughs> That's kind of cool, though. Yeah, different, yeah. Different structurally, than restaurants.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. I will say that it's been the best show given my TV watching habits ever because not only do I, do I, can I just fast forward through oh god. characters that I don't like I can just skip the episodes because they're labeled in the character's name this is
1: so <laughs> ridiculous oh my god <laughs> the <worst> TV watcher <laughs> no
0: no no it's good it's good I suggest I, I, I would suggest my assistant to everybody. Um, alright cool alright Tammy well thanks for being on all the show right. Um. Mm-hmm. I'll see you next time.
1: Uh.